Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. As we go through the Class of 1999 series, um, one thing that is interesting to note that even if the uh, films that we're I'm doing with the various filmmakers and friends uh, throughout this uh, series are not ne- were not necessarily their first choice. They were, in fact, choices of the filmmaker or friend. Uh, and they really want... There are films that they wanted to talk about. And so that's definitely the case today as we bend the rules just a tit a bit. Uh, this is a movie that played at the Toronto Film Festival in 1999, although it did not get a U.S. release in till about 2000 or 2001, I think. But nonetheless, given our recent discussion on Godzilla, I was definitely intrigued to watch Gamera 3 Revenge of Virus um, and discuss it with uh, filmmaker and friend Matthew Saliba. And I'm looking forward to uh, doing that discussion. So thank you very much for joining me again, Matthew. Oh, no, thank you very much. It's it's great to be back. Um, So... Before we uh, before we dig into uh, this particular Gamera film, um, if you could set the stage a little bit with regards to uh, the history of Gamera in terms of his uh, cinematic legacy. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it, it probably comes as no surprise that uh, in the wake of the success of God's, the original Godzilla and all the sequels that followed in the 60s, um, Dai, the uh, sort of rival studio to Toho in Japan, uh, decided to jump into the uh, the kaiju business, as did many uh, studios in Japan at the time. And in 1965, they came out with uh, Gamera the Giant Monster. Now, um, the thing about Gamera uh, is that uh, I, I sort of look at, for me, Gamera is kind of like the Inland Empire of Kaiju. <laughs> and uh, by that I mean, uh, that might seem like a funny uh, comparison to make, but um, hear me out. So, um, in, you know, Inland Empire, uh, you know, David Lynch is one of my favorite directors, and I have tried my damnedest to, to like Inland Empire. Like, I want to like Inland Empire, mm-hmm. but I just can't for whatever reason. And that kind of uh, sums up my feelings with Gamera, at least for the uh, the classic '60s movies. Um, you know, it's just uh, it, there's Gamera is a bit of a, to say the least, he, he's a bit of a tough sell to the non kaiju crowd in the sense that, you know, he he is kind of like a dopey looking monster. <laughs> you know, he he is a he's he's a turtle for starters, and um, he's also he also happens to be a flying turtle. And, uh, and this is something that uh, Roger Ebert pointed out in his review of the, uh, the 1995 Gamera film that came out. So um, Gamera is obviously not a, a cyborg. He's an organic creature, yet he seems to have these sort of rocket jets that stick out of various orifices on his body. And uh, Roger Ebert was uh, the one who pointed out that, you know, because he's an organic creature, um, he's obviously... Uh, the, his ability to fly is ob- obviously stems from the fact that 
Um, he is relying on the power of farting, <laughs> for lack of a better word. So he's uh, so for those keeping track, uh, he's not only a turtle, but he's a flying farting turtle. And furthermore, um, he's also uh, a friend to all the uh, the children of Japan, uh, particularly uh, particularly little boys who wear short shorts. So he's a flying farting turtle who likes little boys. So needless to say, uh, even the most hardcore of kaiju fans are a little embarrassed by by Gamera. Um, I mean, that's not to say that there isn't um, some gems in the in that original run of movies uh, from 1965 to 1980. Uh, they put out uh, eight Gamera films, and uh, I would say for anyone interested in looking in the cl- uh, looking at the classic ones, you can either you can't go wrong with Gamera versus Vera's or Gamera versus Giron, uh, because I think that's when they sort of realized that... that, It feels like that's when the the studio was kind of in on the joke, and they realized Mm -hmm. what they had on their hands, and they sort of abandoned any plans to take Gamera down any serious path, and they sort of embraced the goofiness of the films. Of course, some might argue that... um, you know, if you really want to save time, you should just watch Gamera Super Monster, which came out in 1980, which is perhaps, perhaps one of the most notorious examples of uh, a kaiju film relying on stock footage, uh, because it literally is uh, a greatest hits reel of all the previous seven movies. So if you want to save time, just watch that, because that's literally the entire library of Gamera films. Um, <clears throat> but it's important to point these things out, because... Um, this is really one of those rare examples of of a uh, sort of a reboot uh, being better than the original mm-hmm. uh, lineup of films. Because by the time uh, the mid to late 90s rolled around, um, a director by the name of uh, Shusuke Kaneko, was, who, uh, who was a lifelong uh, Gamera fan, uh, he was basically given the keys to the kingdom and given almost carte blanche to sort of do what he wanted with this character and this franchise. And the result was a a trilogy that began with Gamera Guardian of the Universe in 95 and then Gamera 2 Advent of Legion and then the one we're talking about today, Gamera 3 Revenge Virus. And uh, this this was a franchise that not only reinvented Gamera and presented him as a credible, serious threat – uh, that could even potentially rival Godzilla in terms of popularity mm-hmm. and success. I mean, after all, like uh, Gamera, as Gamera, the first Gamera film got thumbs up from Roger Ebert. So there's something to be said for that. Something even you know a Godzilla film never received. <laughs> um, so it, it it reinvented that character, but it also really reinvented the way kaiju films were made from that point. Um, you know, one of the things we we touched upon in our chat about Godzilla. Uh, couple weeks back was how you know the original 1954 film was very solemn and very serious mm-hmm. and you saw firsthand the the impact the destruction of a creature like Godzilla roaming through uh, roaming through Tokyo uh, would have on people if this event would were to really happen but then almost immediately starting with the second in that Godzilla film uh, the Godzilla films you sort of um, they sort of uh, moved away from uh, the Japanese people, like the effect that 
kaiju were having on the Japanese people, and it almost just became more of a circus where it was just about monsters fighting each other. Yeah. Uh, what Kaneko really did with the Gamera trilogy, especially with Gamera 3, uh, was show the impact uh, of a kaiju uh, roaming through the city, what that would actually have on the people. I mean, it was like the the people weren't sort of like scurrying ants, you know, as the cliche is with these movies, you know, where you see a bunch mm-hmm. of Japanese people running through the streets saying, you know, oh, it's Godzilla. Uh, you actually like, for example, like when Gamera shoots uh, his radioactive breath, you actually see it hit people running in the streets and they burst into flames and that, mm. you know, that, and when I saw that uh, the other day, when I was rewatching the film for the podcast, I was actually quite shocked at how violent and how uh, realistic and gritty yeah. uh, these films are. And, uh, and that was something that had been lacking even in the Godzilla films, which are sort of gold standard for mm-hmm. this genre. Yeah, I mean, So, and then, no, so go, go on, sorry. No, go oh, ahead. no, I was just say from, okay. I was just gonna say, so from, so from that point on, when uh, when Toho rebooted their own Godzilla films for the early part of the millennium, you saw a lot of that uh, sort mm-hmm. of translate from Gamera to Godzilla, where they sort of tried to return to the gritty roots of the 54 original, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where they actually hired uh, Shusuke Kaneko to direct a Godzilla film. Um, and not surprisingly, that was, in the, in the minds of a lot of people, the best of that uh, genre since the 54 original. Yeah. Well, that's that's one of the things, and the part of the reason why I'm actually kind of excited about doing this particular film is because it's a film that most people are probably not terribly familiar with it, unless you're familiar with kaiju cinema in general. So I, I hope that this podcast will have people seeking out this trilogy in particular, and maybe going back into the history of Gamera and leading them into more of an appreciation of what uh, kaiju cinema can do because that is one of the things that I really was quite taken by because I I'd never seen any of the three movies in Kaneko's uh, trilogy myself. This was my first experience, and it's it's a bit jarring because obviously this is like you said this is very much a continuing story especially two going into three you get enough of an idea of what happened in two to where you're not entirely lost if you just pick up on revenge of virus but i definitely do plan on going back and watching uh the first two movies in his trilogy uh after watching this movie because it's really it it's really quite striking and it is uh it it's it's pretty it's legitimately scary and you can see the the comps to the original Godzilla movie are quite earned I think. Oh yeah, I, I think so. And I mean, and again, when you consider, and actually, to be honest, I, I would almost recommend like watching, I guess, any of the classic Gamera films just right before um the this trilogy, just so you can see the jarring difference in styles. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, but to be fair too, um, I mean the the Gamera trilogy uh, gets a lot of credit for uh, for establishing a, a sense of continuity that wasn't really as important uh, when you look back at the classic Gamera's mm-hmm. or, or Godzilla's. I mean, in, in the classic Godzilla, for example, there was always sort of a, a loose continuity in the sense that 
um, some you know you know you would sometimes well particularly with the first three or four films they literally sort of flowed one to each other but theoretically you could pick up any Godzilla film and just take it from there right. um, but in the 90s uh, I, I know the when Godzilla was rebooted in the 90s uh, starting with Godzilla 1985 to Godzilla versus uh, um it's basically one long arc over seven films. And so I think that was definitely something that inspired uh, Kaneko's trilogy. Obviously, with it being three films, it's it's a tighter trilogy. And I mean, you you could I mean you could theoretically pick up three because again, when I rewatched three, I hadn't seen the first two in a long time, um, and and I was able to follow the story. I mean, yeah. uh, they I mean they there are some references to what happened previously mm-hmm. i mean it's not a trilogy in the sense that let's say the original star wars was a trilogy where right. obviously it would obviously would help if you watched the first one but um but i think it's probably a more rewarding experience if you do go through them cr- chronologically mm-hmm. and uh yeah th- this is and that that is one of the things that i i think if it weren't for those if it weren't for those callbacks to the previous uh films and the trilogy i i probably would have been just lost and i'm not sure how i would have felt about this movie but the fact of the matter is it's this is this is a very fascinating uh story and it's it's one where this is essentially a this is essentially a revenge story is what it boils down to uh the main girl in the movie uh, has basically had her her village wiped out by Gamera, and yes. um, she's basically she's basically her rage is what drives her in this movie. She wants revenge on Gamera, and so she help me out a bit. She she finds she finds an egg, doesn't she? Yes, and uh, she sort of uh, she develops um, a psychic link with the uh, with the villain yeah. of the uh, the film, and uh, which is uh, which is another sort of uh, inspiration I think taken from the Godzilla films of the '90s because that was a recurring motif in those films. Mm. Um, so um, and so yeah, I mean, so there's there, there's that psychic link which she uses to sort of uh, fight uh, fight Gamera. So it, it's it's sort of interesting because. As much as this is a kaiju versus kaiju uh, movie, and there's plenty plenty of scenes that play into that, um, it's also really interesting in the sense that it is a story about uh, a, a human being going one on one against Gamera, you know, with a another kaiju used as proxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost feels like a, pre- a, um, a predecessor to um, Pacific Rim in the sense that you almost have someone. Uh, um, yeah. Living vicariously through uh, through a kaiju. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and uh, that that's one of the things that struck me the most about watching this. And it's like the the character of Ayana, who's the the main girl in this, and uh, the the creature that becomes Iris. It's so well imagined. It's it it comes out. You know, you you start off. It's it's kind of a cute design. It's in how it's. But then the way it evolves, it's really evocative and really bizarre and really, and so once you see the end result, it it gets really surreal, in um, the way, 
Iris's sort of final form becomes. And uh, it's... Conejo does such a good job in staging this movie. It feels like there are real stakes at work in this movie. It's not just, oh, let's put two monsters and destroy a city or something like that. This is a real this is a real film with weight, and that's that's one of the things I really loved watching it as the film progressed. Well, that was definitely something <clears throat> pardon me. That was definitely something that made Kaneko's film stand out. And in many respects, um, because, you know, obviously there's people who um, who consider Godzilla 54 to be the uh, the um, the standard by which uh, all further kaiju films are sort of compared to. But then there's a generation that grew up uh, with this Gamera trilogy. And uh, many people consider uh, some of the things that uh, Kaneko did in this film to be the new gold standard mm-hmm. for this type of film, uh, not just with the staging of uh, special effects, which are really remarkable, and so much so that all three films were given theatrical releases in the States, which was previously unheard of uh, for any real kaiju movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also for adding that human element, because in many respects, you know, as, as, as the franchises would go on, uh, even with the the Gamera films in the 60s, I mean, the humans almost became sort of stock characters that didn't really have any um, impact on, on the story. Whereas yeah. in this film, there's an argument to be made that the scenes involving the humans are just as, perhaps if not more, uh, important and emotionally wrenching than anything involving the kaiju, mm-hmm. which is pretty uh, remarkable when you think, when you, when you consider that, consider the monsters that are in this movie. Yeah, one of the things that uh, struck me is just how this this feel. You know, we talked a little bit about Godzilla two thousand on our Godzilla podcast, and uh, it it strikes me just it's amazing to me just how much polish, more polished, and how much more scope this film seems to have than that one. Oh yeah, well, I mean, Godzilla two thousand, and it's interesting because I think if I'm not mistaken. That film was released in 1999 in Japan, um, and the same year as Gamera Three. So it just kind of shows you the um, the difference in mentality between the two studios at the time. Yeah. Uh, because, because truth be told, I would say the success of the Gamera trilogy and its influence was only really felt um, probably well actually probably with the film that Kaneko ended up directing for that Godzilla franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, yeah, Godzilla 2000 and the one that came afterwards, Godzilla versus Megaguirus were very much, uh, following the trend of previous films and not quite embracing, uh, the more mature uh, human element that Kaneko brought with the, the Gamera films. But then starting from GMK onwards, uh, there was definitely, you, you could definitely tell that there's a consistency in terms of the artistic vision. Yeah. Yeah, and um this this is this is a movie that uh really it it's it it casts Gamera in a very different light here and I think it's because of the fact that so much of it boils so much of it is putting us in Ayana's uh perspective and her point of view and uh so while we can see that Gamera has done some good in terms of destroying uh, some of these monstrous bird-type creatures. Uh, in the previous films, 
uh, you you do understand sort of like why this one character in particular would see her see Gamera as a villain more than somebody that's uh somebody that something that is heroic. Yeah, and I think that's uh, that sort of subtlety and nuance is definitely a callback to when Kaiju was first launched uh, as a metaphor for World War II, and um, and, not, and not only that, but I also feel that um, you know, I, I, again, I do feel like uh, there are a lot of parallels. I keep bringing up the the fifty four Godzilla, but I do think that there's there are a lot of parallels to that, mm-hmm. and it's interesting because you know. Um, because you hadn't really seen that in any film after that original film, uh, especially like in the case of a film like Destroy All Monsters, where you had 10 to 12 plus kaiju. Um, you know, uh, I would love to have seen a follow-up film that sort of examined everything from the perspective of the humans who had to experience that, because, you know, we as fans are enjoying the sort of royal rumble between uh, all these giant monsters. But at the same time, if this happened, you know, here in Montreal or down in Georgia, you know, we would have a very different perspective. Uh, (laughs) So um, so that's what's very interesting, because you hadn't really seen that. And now that I think about it, you know, I mean, they they certainly explore that quite a bit in in 54. But I I would almost uh, I would almost feel like this takes it one step further in, in the sense that, you know, while Godzilla in 54 was a villain, unquestionably a villain, in this case, Gamera was trying to do good, you know, because he was presented as the baby face mm-hmm. of, uh, of this franchise, whereas in, in her, by her perspective, he's a, he's a villain. And, um, and again, it's that sort of uh, subtlety and nuance that I feel is kind of missing. Uh, and we, we touched upon this in the last podcast with the, these upcoming MonsterVerse films that Legendary are putting out. Yeah. Um, I, I, and again, I, I'd almost be really curious to see, uh, although I don't know if it would ever happen, but I'd love to see uh, Shusuke Kaneko get his hands at doing uh, an American Godzilla film mm-hmm. or or if they ever decide to adapt Gamera for American audiences, though yeah. I, I don't know if that'll happen. But that that would be interesting to see. And and the thing is, um, I I would worry that they would. I I would worry that an American filmmaker would play up sort of the campy aspects of that and the cheesy yeah. aspects of that as opposed to taking it seriously. Now, given the way that the sort the or sort of the first uh, MonsterVerse movies have turned out, whether, you know, you're talking about Godzilla or whether you're talking about Kong Skull Island, you know, there's a possibility of that happening, but especially once you consider, you know, what you described as far as like, you know, Gamera and at the first, at first it's like, yeah, that's probably going to be a bit too far. Yeah, and at the same time, too, <clears throat> there is such a thing. Uh, I might have forgotten to mention this, but like, um, while Ken- I should have probably clarified this, like, Kaneko uh, was eventually given carte blanche. And, and I think one of the things, uh, if you get a chance to watch the, the, the trilogy in chronological order, the first film, Guardian of the Universe, is definitely the more traditional of the three in the sense that. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. Gamera is presented in a much more serious, incredible light than he ever was in the '60s, but he still does a few of the sort of 
you know, cheesy things that people have come to love or hate about Gamera. Uh, Whereas, I mean, eventually it evolved into a much more mature and nuanced story by the time the third one rolled around. But uh, one of the things, like Kaneko really wanted to change quite a bit of the character and the opinion of the studio at the time was that, you know, yeah, you can push push this in a more serious light, but at the end of the day, Gamera is Gamera, and there's really only so much you can change about the character before he just becomes a different monster altogether. Right. And, you know, whether you like the fact that he, you know, flies around like a UFO or not, I mean, that's that's what makes him him. And, you know, as much as people... As much as people, you know, might want to see a different take, there's only so much that people are willing to accept Mm -hmm. uh, by, you know, there's always, and I mean, you know, I mean, just look at the Star Wars films, (laughs) you know, I mean, there's with, you know, the fanboy reaction and stuff. I mean, there's only so much you can (laughs) change a film before, you know, people start rioting in the streets. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, so yeah, so you're right. I mean, uh, as interesting as it would maybe be to see an American take on that, I guess one, maybe Americans... Um, not just American, I guess the West in general might not uh, be as aware of Gamera as they might be as Godzilla, because Godzilla, whether you've seen a Godzilla film or not, I mean, most people would probably know who that is if you mentioned it. Whereas Gamera, you know, he's a bit of a, although there was a reference of him on The Simpsons, so I mean, maybe there is some hope about seeing a a U.S. Gamera at some point. Mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure what direction that could potentially go in without it becoming sort of a campy film. Yeah. I mean, there, there are moments in a uh, revenge of virus that I found a bit cheesy near the end of the movie. But I mean, there's still also, there's so much of the production. The visuals are just so striking throughout most of the movie. It's like this, this we're making, I, you know, I apologize if we're making it sound like, you know, this overly, serious movie it's it's serious <laughs> but it's also it's also a monster movie and it's, oh yeah it's also a disaster movie and i mean there it definitely plays into some of the formula of 90s disaster movies but it also it also takes there's weight to the actions in this movie and i think that's the thing that is uh that's the thing that stands out the most about it Oh, I think so too. Yeah, I mean, uh, and 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 you're right. I mean, there it definitely feeds into some of the cliches at the time, and uh, in many respects, especially since it came out during the height of the whole disaster movie era, it almost makes me glad that Roland Emmerich never got his uh, mitts on this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, yeah, it does. But mm-hmm. uh, but again, like I, I feel like um, you know whether you're watching a disaster film or you know, a serious art house film, I think you need to go in with certain expectations and also understanding, you know, the genre of film that you're watching too. Um, because you get, again, by this point, um, you know, the, the kaiju machine had sort of been milked dry uh, as, as far as ideas go. And so this was sort of a, a welcome breath of fresh air just in terms of the way it was presented. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's interesting because, um, you know, as much as Godzilla is sort of considered the king of the monsters, it's very interesting to note that, um, you know, Godzilla's success has often been predicated on the success of monster films that kind of came before it. 
like when you stop and think about it, the original 54 film was really only made because of the, the because King Kong, the original King right. Kong had been re-released in 52. And that was such a huge hit, mm. which inspired Toho to sort of want to make their own monster movie. And, um, you know, when Kong, once again, when Kong was resurrected in the 70s by uh, Dino De Laurentiis, uh, that's when Toho got the idea to eventually reboot uh, their Godzilla movies yeah. with Godzilla 85. And then in this case, you know, because Gamera was such a huge hit and it took such a bold new direction for that genre, you know, they decided to follow suit uh, with their own films in the millennium. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in many respects, uh um, Gamera sort of is is that sort of benchmark uh, for mm. the current uh, the current wave of movies. Um, although one thing I'd love to see, and I'm not really sure. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a rights issue and whatnot. But I I think like a lot of people, I would love to see uh, a Gamera versus Godzilla film at some point. Hmm, that's it's weird. There, yeah, and I guess because of the fact that they were uh, separate studios, which I was not entirely familiar with. Um, yeah, I guess it does make sense that that hasn't happened. Um, I mean, they could always, <clears throat> I imagine, um, it would probably be a situation similar to, let's say Batman v Superman, where, right. um, they start off as, um, enemies, but then King Ghidorah teams up with Gauss or, mm -hmm. uh, one of Gamera's, uh, villains. Uh, I mean, as long as there's no scene where, you know, Gamera or Godzilla has his foot on uh, Godzilla has his foot on Gamera and he says something about Martha. I was like, oh. <laughs> it's like, how do you know that name? <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> not, not really much to say about that. Um, there's not much I want to say about that. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 one of those things. Yeah, I'm I'm just I I'm I'm glad that you chose this because of the fact that it's like it 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 made me think. It made me it it sort of peak helped peak my interest a little bit about uh not about movies beyond Godzilla when it comes to uh, kaiju movies. And uh, I mean one of my favorite movies of the uh, past decade is Pacific Rim, but oh yes. Um, you know, it's like, and I, and we discussed on the Godzilla podcast that I was, I was a fan of the uh, Gareth Edwards one, even though you, you have much better idea of how they could have made that even more personal. Um, and oh, well, made, I that, mean... made that a little bit more in, in vain of what uh, Ishiro Honda did in the original Godzilla. And uh, this, you know, and it's, that that's one of the things that I like about this is that it it fits in it fits in that same vein of the Ashiro Honda movie and there there's <clears throat> there's an affection for the genre as well as fantasy in it and there's real scary elements of this movie but it's still fun to watch and it doesn't get overly serious and it, it, it basically, it walks that fine line in terms of genre very well, I think. Oh, I think so, too. And, and, and also, don't get me wrong. I mean, as much as I love the, the 54 original Godzilla uh, and how in the serious direction it took, 
I'm not sure I'd want to watch 29 other movies like that. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because eventually yeah. at some point, you know, so I mean, so again, I, as much as I appreciate when the kaiju genre is taken in a, in a direction where it can serve as a metaphor for political and social issues. Yeah. I mean, again, at the end of the day, it, it is giant it is men in rubber suits uh <laughs> fighting each other over miniatures so i mean mm-hmm. um and, and and that's what's that's what i really appreciate about the the gamma trilogy as a whole especially gamma three because it is a film that very much strides that fine line between you know dare i say art house and sort of uh, a mainstream action blockbuster mm-hmm. and uh and if nothing else i mean um uh, I, I, this actually just kind of came to me right now because uh, on the last podcast you had asked me what is the biggest misconception that people have of kaiju films. And I was yeah. talking about how like they think it's just sort of cheesy popcorn fun. And I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but uh, I think perhaps the biggest misconception about these films is that they're cheaply made mm-hmm. uh, in the vein of, let's say, an Ed Wood movie. Right. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I mean, when you watch enough of these movies, um, I mean, I could definitely put together a list of some of non-Gamera Godzilla films for you to watch. Um That'll, uh, you know, I'll put it this way. uh, You'll have more films to put on your bottom 50 list of uh, worst (laughs) movies. But, um, you know, there are badly, like, cheaply made films. But, you know, I would, um, anyone who would say that to me, I would point them in the direction of Gamma 3. Because Mm -hmm. that's a film that, you know, um, if you didn't know any better, you you could almost mistake that for a Hollywood action film. Because the effects are so slick. And uh, the action is so well shot. Mm-hmm. That's something else too. Uh, um, something I really appreciated, just from a filmmaker standpoint, is you know because it's obviously very difficult to shoot this kind of action without it seeming like it's just a guy in a suit. So mm-hmm. I really like the fact that a lot of the there's a lot of low angles, and there's a lot of shots taken from you know the uh, the humans' perspective that um, they a lot of forced perspective in this movie. Yeah, that uh, Kaneko does really well to the point where, you know, if, if you were a youngster watching these moves, you would almost be hard pressed to think or not think that these were real, that these were real creatures uh, that mm-hmm. somehow the filmmakers got hold of and were shooting. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's that well done. So, um, so yeah, I mean, anyone who would say that kaiju is cheaply made, uh, I would point them in the direction of this and say, no, this is this is peak kaiju uh, when mm-hmm. it's done right. Yeah, and this is this is definitely uh, yeah, and this is this is definitely an example that you're right. It looks like if you didn't know any better, you you could mistakenly look at this and say, oh, well, this was a Hollywood production and it's like no it wasn't but it certainly looks like that and that's mm-hmm. one of the things I I <clears throat> that's one of the things that I like the most about it, and that's one of the things I was most impressed by cuz it's like yeah I I've seen some of those older Godzilla movies and yeah they're they're just kind of cheesy and it's like at a certain point yes they it it's hard not to get into the silly with that but at the same time, it's like there are also ways that Kaneko uh, shoots when when Gamera and Iris are going after one another. It's just really weird to watch, and it's real. It's a bonkers movie to watch, but it's really fun in that way. Oh yeah, no, no, it is, and um, and also um, it's interesting. Some people might 
be interested to know that, um, you know, the film sort of ends a little bit on a cliffhanger, mm-hmm. which um, unfortunately never really got resolved um, because there was another Gamera film made in 2006 <clears throat> called uh, Gamera the Brave. And uh, a lot of people were kind of hoping that this was going to be the sort of to tie all the loose ends from the end of Gamera 3. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, it was just it's a it's a standalone film that has no relation to the yeah. trilogy. And if anything, it kind of it's more of a callback to the 60s films. It's mm-hmm. in this, although it's kind of interesting because it's a it, it has the vibe of a 60s Gamera film, but with the sort of aesthetic of, you know, the work that Kaneko did in the 90s. But it has no relation whatsoever to uh, to the trilogy. But for anyone, for all the completionists out there who uh, mm-hmm. need to see every Gamera film, uh, it, it's worth uh, tracking down if you can find it. When did you first see this? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that before we started this. Um, I I want to say Fantasia, uh, the, the Fantasia Film Festival here in Montreal. Um, for those who don't know, it's uh, North America's largest. Uh, it's basically the, the can of uh, genre film festivals. Okay. It's an event that runs for three weeks. And, um, and so at some point, um, this was obviously after the film had been released in 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was, um, I think they may have shown it in 2000 or 2001. Um, okay. I think they had shown, I think they like, it was like a, it was a special night where they were showing all three back to back to back. So, uh, so I remember seeing it on the big screen and, uh, and it was interesting because there were lots of parents who brought their young kids to see this movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> Think, well, you know, thinking of course, yeah. well, it's, you know, it's yeah. thinking, well, I mean, I, I even heard like, you know, people referring it to it as a Godzilla movie because Godzilla is kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, it's like if you refer to a spaghetti Western as a Clint Eastwood movie, you know, right. it's just, it's become so synonymous with the genre. It's yeah. just so, um, <laughs> so, and so obviously it, it, it's obvious that they hadn't seen a Godzilla in a really long time, mm-hmm. a Godzilla, a Kaiju film in a long time because they obviously assumed it was a family friendly film. So, <laughs> you know, in those scenes where I was talking about how, uh, you know, the radioactive fire hits people and they burst into flames. Like, I mean, I, I seem to remember like kids crying <laughs> during yeah. the movie because it's obviously pretty intense for them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, those are some of my memories of of watching it uh, okay. in the theaters, and then uh, then of course, like when they eventually came out on DVD, I snatched them up and mm-hmm. uh, rewatched them, and um, <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, uh, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think I mean I know the U.S. got the theatrical release. I don't believe they were ever theatrically released in uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, thankfully, it's because of places like Fantasia, we were able to see them in in, uh, in theaters here. But um, but yeah, I mean that was my experience. And there was lots of uh, even from some of the adults, there were loud, audible gasps during some of the more intense scenes in the film, which I think you know once again is a testament to mm-hmm. uh, Kaneko's ability as a director. Yeah. Um, also, uh, it, it's interesting as you were talking earlier about the design of Iris and how it almost looks very nightmarish. And uh, for those who might not know, uh, Kaneko's um, before he even got the job on Gamera, he uh, he directed one of the segments for um, I believe it's called Necronomicon. It was like a Lovecraftian um, a horror anthology film okay. that he uh, he was involved uh, with a few other directors. One of the other directors, I think, was. Um, 
Christophe Gain, who's um, the uh, famous French filmmaker who... Oh, okay. um, he, he did Brother of the Wolf, right? Yes, yeah, that's okay. what he yeah, he yeah. did that. And I think the other director was Brian Yuzna, who uh, was the producer of Reanimator okay. and uh, and a director in his own right. Um, so so he's no stranger to that sort of um, that kind of imagery. So um, so it was very inspired. Uh, so so even looking back on it, even asking Kaneko to direct this trilogy was a pretty inspired uh, decision because mm-hmm. you know he didn't really have any sort of science fiction background other than, you know, that one segment that he directed. Uh, if anything, I would almost liken that to the fact that Adam Weingard was uh, tapped to direct Kong versus Godzilla, the 2020 film coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, on I don't know if you're familiar with Adam Weingard, but um, oh, yeah. he's... Uh, Oh, yeah. So, you know, yeah. So, I mean, you wouldn't think, you know, he doesn't, his work doesn't scream kaiju, (laughs) but, um, but I mean, but much like a Kaneko, maybe he'll end up surprising us with making one of the more uh, interesting uh, entries in that franchise. And I, I, I've heard the name, but I'm trying to remember what else he's done. Uh, He, uh, he directed uh, You're Next. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he sort of, uh, that's what I thought he had done. Yeah. I and mean, he's sort he, of, um, didn't he, also, he's, uh, he's, didn't he also do the, uh, Blair Witch reboot a couple of years ago? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He did that one too. Yeah. Um, he's sort of, um, it's one of the, uh, I don't know if you've heard, there was like a film movement. Um, I, I think they're still making films, but it's called the, the mumble core. Um, mm-hmm. um, so, so it, it was funny. Cause like when I first heard that he was directing Kong versus Godzilla, my initial reaction was that are these, kaiju just going to mumble at each other for an hour and a half <laughs> but uh and then stare at their sneakers yeah but uh but yeah um but anyway i mean the, the point being that um you know it's it's kind of bad i'm just thinking about it now how it's kind of an interesting parallel where you've got guys mm-hmm. who are you know not necessarily known for their work in you know high concept big special effects driven science fiction films but uh, sometimes they could end up surprising you mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's gonna be yeah, and that's gonna be interesting to see uh, what he does with it because yeah, he really hasn't done any, he he hasn't done anything nearly on that level because I mean I've seen Uranus, I've seen that horrible way to die, I've I've seen a couple of his films and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's 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 gonna that's definitely an interesting choice. I'm curious to see what he does with uh, Kong versus Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how uh, anytime you talk about kaiju, it always comes back to Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, but he's, uh, he's 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 the. I mean, that basically, I mean, he's ground zero for it. I mean, yeah, that's that's what. Bo- I mean, unless you unless you include Kong, but I mean, I I think the I I think Kong was yeah. I mean, Kong Kong is in that vein, but you know, not really a part of that. So. Yeah, um, but um, although, have you ever seen the um, the Toho Kong films? I have not. No. Well, I mean, there was King Kong versus Godzilla, which I mean, everyone right. knows. But uh, they also did another one called uh, King Kong Escapes. I think that came out in '67, and uh, that's the one where Kong fights uh, M- uh, Mechana Kong, which is his cyborg double. Okay. And um, and the there's uh, the the villain in that film. Uh, his name's Doctor Who. 
but not uh, obviously not the Doctor right. Who. But um, right. but that's a that's a that's an interesting film because you could tell that the the costume for Kong uh, is very much uh, the worse for wear. <laughs> like, uh, it's you could tell that that costume had been on the hanger for a few years because it's fallen apart at the seams. Well, um, what, what, uh, what exactly before we, before we start to wrap this up, um, what we, we've spent a lot of time talking about the, uh, the, the third part of this, uh, this trilogy of Gamera films, cause I mean, it's the film that we're centering on, but, um, for people who aren't familiar with the trilogy in general, uh, what, what is sort of the basic arc of it? You know, with without getting into too many spoilers for it, but I mean, you know, if if we have to, we have to. But you know, just just so people have an idea as to the uh, arc of this mo- series. Sure. Well, um, one thing that um, is kind of glossed over uh, if you watch the original 1965 film is that uh, there's a scene at the beginning um, when Gamera uh, is first introduced. Um, there, um, there's a, a team of Japanese scientists and reporters who are at this, uh, Inuit uh, village in the Arctic. And, uh, one of the, uh, the elders from that tribe, uh, presents, uh, one of the scientists with this rock that is allegedly from the lost island of Atlantis or the continent of Atlantis. And, uh, there's an implication that there's a, there, there, there were a race of gamma creatures, uh, from Atlantis, but it's never really brought up again throughout that entire run of eight films from the uh, 60s. So this, uh, the the 90s trilogy sort of uh, delves more into that, uh, which it, it basically sort of explains Gamera's background. And um, it also, um, there's also a lot of uh, references to the fact that Gamera needs to feed on something called mana, uh, which is sort of addressed in the the third film, uh, and that's uh, another connection to uh, to Atlantis. So there's more uh, there's more exploration of Gamera's background, and uh, in many respects, uh, this might seem uh, kind of a funny comparison, but uh, I would almost compare it to uh, Batman Begins in the mm-hmm. sense that as much as Batman Begins expanded on the origin story of Batman. Uh, to the extent that even the comic books didn't, yeah. uh, I, I, at the very least, the original Gamera gives you his backstory and explains, you know, why he, for example, why he's able to fly, <laughs> um, so uh, and why he likes children. <clears throat> so, uh, so the first one does that. It also serves as a reintroduction to his, um, to I guess the, the Gamera equivalent of King Ghidorah. You know, his arch rival is uh, Gauss. So Gauss is given uh, a reintroduction to the audience, and he's presented in a much more serious light than he ever was in the uh, the '60s films, where he was kind of like a, a goofy uh, pterodactyl type mm-hmm. creature. So there's that, and um, and also, I mean, there's uh, there's a lot more exploration about um, the um, the interaction between humans and kaiju. Um, more so than there ever was, in, in even in the Godzilla films, uh, I think there's there's more like characters have more of a kin, you know, because in the original films, children were always, you know, the, the running joke was that Gamera was a friend to all the children, yeah. were at, and but never really explained why or how, you know, kids didn't sort of, um, you know, 
uh, go crazy at the sight of a giant turtle carrying them in, the, in his hands. Uh, the 90s trilogy really explores that more. Uh, it sort of establishes that there is a bit of a psychic relationship between children and Gamera, that they can communicate to, with him um, in a way. And, and it's sort of almost like a, a metaphor for kids who don't feel the kind of love and kinship with their own family that Gamera sort of... Uh, um, a loving stepfather, which again has very disturbing undertones when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, in light of yeah. the uh, leaving Neverland and whatnot. Um, yeah. But um, so it, it explores that a bit. So there, there, it's it, it presents Gamera as a more mythological creature. Um, I would almost compare it a little bit to. Uh, I mean, obviously they haven't gone into too much detail, but you know how in Godzilla: King of the Monsters, the new one that's coming out this year. There seems to be an effort to sort of present these kaiju as the great titans of Earth, mm-hmm. how they once lived, yeah. uh, you know, millions of years ago. Uh, in a nutshell, that's kind of what the Gamera trilogy does. It sort of uh, presents Gamera as a creature that has defended the universe, uh, has defended Earth uh, for millions of years, and then you know he was when Ga- when Atlantis sunk, you know, so did he and his kind, and he's sort of the last of his kind. And, um, you know, there are forces out there that are trying to eliminate him because he's the only thing standing between, you know, the inv- a full-scale invasion of the Earth and and ruin. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and um, like I've said, I mean, I've only seen Gamera 3 right now, but I definitely want to check out the other two. I definitely plan on checking out the other two uh, sooner rather than later. Um <clears throat> Be, before we wrap up, is there anything more that you'd like to say on uh, Revenge of Virus? Um, again, it's um, obviously it helps if you watch the first two, but at the same time, it's not uh, it's not as it's it's not as um, it's not a trilogy in the way, let's say, like the Matrix trilogy was a trilogy mm-hmm. or Star Wars or anything like that. I mean, you could theoretically pick up three. And more or less be able to follow the action. Yeah. And even and, and it's definitely worth checking out uh, if for no other reason. I mean, if you're the kind of person who, you know, your knowledge of Godzilla begins and ends with, you know, Godzilla chasing around his son in that Father's Day ad that, that airs every Father's <laughs> Day, uh, it, it would certainly be in your best interest to expand your horizons and see what kaiju can really do. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, again, if you're the kind of person who, um, and my, I mean, these aren't judgment calls, by the way. I'm not trying to yeah. say that these are bad people. But I mean, like, uh, you know, if, if your experience with Gamera has only been through MST3K, mm-hmm. uh, you might be pleasantly surprised at uh, at what can happen when it's, when uh, the franchise is given to um, to a, a lifelong fan of the, the series. And, um, yeah, just, I mean, what happens if you give it to someone who really cares and is trying to make a gen... It, yeah, that, that's the thing, too. Like, not only is Gamera 3 a good kaiju film, I would argue it's a genuinely good film, period. Oh, yeah. And I think... Uh, and, and that's... Or I would even say it's a it's a great film. I mean, that's what differentiates a good film from a great film mm-hmm. because a good. I mean, there are tons of good genre films that cater to people who know all the archetypes and tropes. But I mean, a, a great film is a film that not only works on the level that it was intended to work on, but can mm-hmm. transcend its uh, the boundaries of its genre and cater to people who would otherwise never be caught dead watching a kaiju film. Right. And I think that's what Kaneko. I mean, not to oversell it, although I guess yeah. that's too late. But I yeah, mean, I not mean, to we, oversell we, the we point. Kind but of have, but the fact of the matter is, it's like that. That's one of the things I like about this particular 
choice this particular episode is because of the fact that this is something that most people are not necessarily going to associate with this year. But at the same time, there is something that this is kind of a gem that, you know, you on the year before American audiences had that god awful Roland Emmerich Godzilla movie. The year after, they had a kind of cheesy Toho Godzilla movie in Godzilla 2000. Here's something in the middle that, unless you were an enthusiast at the time, you weren't necessarily aware of. But if yep. you're so inspired by, like, even something like the Gareth Edwards movie that or Pacific Rim, that it's like, you know, this is this is this type of thing is kind of entertaining. I really like this. This is the type of movie that it's like, well, this is this might be right up your alley. And as somebody, I think so. and sorry, and as somebody who was only familiar with camera from Mystery Science Theater three thousand, I I definitely I I definitely came out of Revent Gamera three. Uh, with with a greater appreciation of not only the genre in general, but in particular the the way that somebody can bring a character like Gamera to life. Yep, absolutely. Uh, well put. Um, again, I, I really think that um, if people go in with an open mind, uh, they'll be pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you included this as part of the the class of '99 because I, I mean I know we're you know, I know we're bending the rules a little bit, yeah. uh, because technically, although, you know, in all fairness, um, you know, I know back, uh, when back in my, the, my filmmaking days, um, you know, technically the first public, um, screening of a film is technically the year it came out in, right. you know, cause theoretically you could shoot a film in the sixties, but if it only was screened in yeah. 2019, then technically it's a 2019 <laughs> film so so you know it, we're not really breaking any rules no, here it's no. technically a 99 yeah. film um but uh but no and that's a good point because yeah uh, especially in light of you know what came out uh, around that time it, it is a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. and um yeah i mean i i'm i'm curious to see i mean again like i i'm obviously a bigger godzilla fan but uh i'd be very curious to see because i mean again uh from what i understand there aren't any real plans to uh, revitalize that or reboot the character um so i mean i i, I would love to see a godzilla versus gamma film i know mm-hmm. toho is gonna do a brand new uh godzilla universe so i don't know if there are any because that is like the last big dream match uh if you're mm-hmm. gonna do that for a movie and I don't know. I mean, I'd be sort of curious to, um, you know, see what they do uh, if they if they were to bring it to the states. Uh, although I will say this, I'll, I'll leave you with this thought: if they do, um, if they ever do bring it to the states and they decide to go full on camp with it, uh, I would sincerely hope that they would put this film in the hands of Tommy Wiseau, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because if they are going to go full camp on it, because I would just. I just bring that up because I know his next movie is a, uh, he's making a shark movie apparently. Yeah. Um, so yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't be a good idea, but, uh, but I don't know if they, if they really were going to go the, the campy route, I mean, that would probably be the, uh, although I don't know. I mean, I, um, I don't know who would really be able to direct something like that because it's such a, such a tricky character mm-hmm. because, you know, there is just something so inherently goofy about him, but yeah, you know, uh, in the hands of the right person, he can be 
probably the most one of the more terrifying kaijus. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. And and so long as that quote unquote right person is not Roland Emmerich, I I, I sincerely hope you know it would turn out all right. Um, <laughs> well, mate. Matthew, thank you very much for not only not only bringing this movie to my attention because I wasn't even completely familiar with it uh, when you when you suggested it, but thank you as always for joining me on the podcast. Oh no, uh, I, it, it's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure doing this one and the other one as well. Uh, I mean, I never turn down any opportunity to talk about kaiju, and in many respects, I almost feel like we only scraped the surface, but yeah. um, but. Thanks again. It's a real, real pleasure on my part. I'd like to thank Matthew Saliba for once again joining me on the uh, Class of 1999 series. Uh, I and I'm very grateful that uh, we had this movie to talk about because it's a movie that most people are not necessarily familiar with, but it's one that I do think it. When you consider the genre of films that came out in 1999, I think it's something that holds up with any of them, whether you're talking about The Matrix, whether you're talking about Fan Mess, whether you're talking about um, even something like The uh, 13th Floor, which I really liked, or any any genre. There, the, 1999 was a fascinating year for genre, and I think the uh, the final part of this trilogy was definitely a is definitely something that's worthy consideration with any of those movies. And so I, I definitely, if nothing else, I want, uh, I would, I hope that people go search out the Hammer trilogy and this one in particular. Um, it's not terribly available right now, unfortunately, but um, if you don't mind blind buying it, I know that's where I got mine on Amazon on Blu-ray and it was, it's it's such a good uh it was such a good experience. I'm glad I got a chance to watch it. Um thank you very much for joining me at the Sonic Cinema Podcast to us up on Patreon at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Uh the Atlanta Film Festival is coming up in the beginning of Atlanta and I've already got ideas as far as which films I want to talk about, which people I hope to talk to and get a look at and I'll in addition to coverage on the main website of Sonic Cinema there's also going to be um, coverage exclusively for patrons and so I hope you enjoy that as well uh, the Sonic Cinema podcast is found on YouTube at the Sonic Cinema podcast YouTube page and as well as quick takes uh, little mini reviews or mini commentaries and uh, I might have more of those coming up um, coming up in the uh, podcast the class of 99 continues on with another uh, ridiculous horror movie as well as one of the most anticipated movies of my generation and that will hopefully those will hopefully all uh, come out before the uh, Atlanta Film Festival. For now, this is Brian Scuttle with the Sonic Cinema Podcast, and thank you very much. Mm-hmm.